So um, we're talking about transitions. This is our, our new series, Don't Look Back, God's Guidance in Transition. And if you look at scripture, you see over and over and over again that God leads his people through times of transition. And, and they start off at one point and there is a destination at the end, at the end, but there's a period in between where things look a little different. Um, all of us are handling this kind of time of transition in, in different ways. Uh, and in scripture, we see how different people handle times of transition differently from one another. Um, I put together a little video I want to share with you that helps you maybe understand how I've been handling transition, uh, but just of the one aspect of, of what we do on Sunday morning. And so I want to share that with you, um, and hopefully uh, it will give you a little insight into uh, my life uh, over the last couple months. Uh, so I'm going to share that with you uh, right now. So as I said, maybe a little insight into me and my goofiness. Um, but more than anything, I just I want to let you know that uh, it, it I'm I'm dealing with the transition. Uh, I think we're all dealing with the trans transition that we're going through at the moment. Um, and some of us have to deal with it with a little bit of humor. Uh, some of us are dealing with it uh, by um, consuming a little bit more than we would in the past. Maybe we're consuming a little more uh, Netflix or Disney Plus or uh, food. Um, we all have a little bit of um, a way of coping with transition. Um, and my hope is that in the transition, in this, this time between two different times, the time uh, that, that happened before shelter-in-place orders and the time that will come at the end of all of this, um, that we don't transition poorly, that this process that we go through will be a, a positive one, uh, one in which we um, are able to um, learn something and maybe lean into, again, God's guidance for transition. And I think uh, one, of the, one of the things that I thought about in putting together this particular series is that oftentimes in transition, our temptation is to remember what was 
and not to think forward to what it is that God is calling us to. And I think that the verse that Stan and Donna read to us this morning, uh, I think that it's, uh, or uh, Bob and Becky read to us this morning, I think that it's a really powerful uh, message about poor transition. Uh, and I want to bring up one specific part of that verse this morning. It's, uh, it's really clear The Israelites have just come out of Egypt. They've come out of this time of struggle and difficulty and and, uh, watching as Egypt has collapsed. They were slaves in Egypt and God freed them through a series of miraculous events and he brings them up to the edge of the Red Sea. And this is a moment that becomes terrifying for the people because now at their back, are Egyptian chariots, and in front of them is its water, an impassable body of water for this large group of people. And God's advice to them, the advice he gives to Moses, is, is this. Tell the Israelite people to go forward. Tell the Israelite people to go forward. I think in many ways this this is the essential part of the message that God gives in, in Exodus chapter 14. Obviously, he gives Moses instruction, raise your hands, you know, the staff and, and the waters will part and your people will walk through on dry ground and arrive on the other side and I will provide them victory over the Egyptians. And there's this, this pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, the, the miraculous events that are happening all around them. And it can be really easy to focus on all of the the big events that are going on. What seems like a fairly chaotic, loud, exciting moment. And in the middle of it all are these words, tell the Israelite people to go forward. If the Israelite people listened to this message, if, if they had taken it into their heart, I think the rest of the book of Exodus and the, the book of Deuteronomy, really the, the, the story of the transition from Egypt to promised land, would look very different. Um, but we're all familiar with this story. We all know what ends up happening. We, we are familiar with the ways in which Israel fails to look forward. And so I want to walk through some of that uh, with that perspective. Oftentimes we think of Israel as, as a group of grumblers and complainers, but oftentimes we forget that their grumbling and complaining has to do with the perspective, the, the direction that they choose to look. So here in Exodus 14, verse 15, the, the second half of that verse, God tells the Israelite people to look forward, to go forward. And then uh, we have this triumphal moment. They cross over the sea and the Israelite people, seeing the victory over Egypt, they sing a song along with Moses. And the end, the conclusion of that song is, the Lord will reign forever and ever. They get to the other side of the sea and they're ecstatic. 
God has delivered us from Egypt. We're no longer slaves. We have victory. This is the great thing that the Lord had done. Lo, many generations will sing this song, for the Lord will reign forever and ever. And it would be fantastic if that was the anthem of their heart for the remainder of their time in the wilderness. But as I noted before, they don't continue to look forward. And they don't continue to remind themselves over and over and over again that the Lord will reign forever and ever. In fact, in the same chapter, just a handful of verses later, this is the way that the Israelites respond to the situation that they find themselves in as God is delivering them, transitioning them from deliverance to establishment in a new place. This is their response. Exodus 15, verse 24. And the people grumbled against Moses. <laughs> I think that this is it's emblematic of the story that we are reading this morning. Uh, the people grumbled against Moses. It's a phrase that I remember growing up and hearing. And uh, it's, it's kind of, in some ways, um, it's like when we read in the book of Judges, this phrase that comes up over and over again. And again, Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Kind of this resigned uh, acceptance of the fact that this is just the state of affairs with this group of people. And again, Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the people grumbled. Sometimes they grumble against God. Sometimes they grumble against Moses. Usually they grumble against Moses, who is God's representative to the people. What do they grumble against Moses about? That's the question that we have here. Uh, they get to the other side of the water. And in verse 22, it says, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness and found no water. Now, this is three days. Three days into the wilderness. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? What shall we drink? God delivered these people. He brought them across the sea. They had the opportunity to witness an entire sea parting before them. They have the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. They have a, a defeated Egyptian army behind them. And three days into the wilderness, they find themselves grumbling and complaining. Now, God has promised this people the land of Canaan. He's told them what's coming. This is your destination. This is where I'm taking you. I will give you the land that I had promised to your father Abraham, to your father Isaac, to your father Jacob. I will give you that land. That's what awaits these people. And so I'm kind of reminded in some ways of times I've made promises to my kids. Um, Micah, who's actually on the chat with you guys this morning, he's watching because uh, Lorinda and I have a kid-free weekend. The the uh, little ones have gone off to be with grandma and grandpa up in Welch's. Uh, and Lorinda and I are getting ready to celebrate our 14th wedding anniversary. So happy anniversary, baby. Um, we are, we are kid free. And so Micah is watching anyway, all of that to say, um, we've taken our kids to Disneyland and Disney world before. Uh, that's kind of what we like to do. We're Disney people. Uh, the Bentleys can 
uh, empathize with us there. We've had lots of conversations about how much we enjoy Disneyland. Kyle and, and Rebecca and Lorenda and I were talking about this last week. We like going to Disneyland. And uh, our kids kind of have come to, to know that like the trip is worth it. When we get there, there's going to be a lot of fun. But there have also been times that we've told the kids, hey, we're going to Disneyland. And even knowing what waits at the end of the trip, the trip becomes excruciating. Now, both of my kids are pretty good travelers. They travel fairly well. And uh, we'll get in the car and we'll start driving. And we'll reach a point where it's like, even around town sometimes, okay, so not on a trip to Disneyland, around town, Emma will be in the car for five minutes and she'll ask for something to drink. I'm thirsty. Well, we didn't get in the car with drinks and we don't have like a little cooler or a fridge in our car. Uh, Lorinda's laughing over here because she knows this is the truth. Um, the other day, as we were headed to drop her off to be with grandma and grandpa, uh, very shortly into our little drive, we got the question, can I have something to drink? Well, no, we're, we're going to get lunch very soon. But for now, you're okay. That, that's kind of how Israel is. Shortly into the trip, I'm thirsty. Give me something to drink. Yeah, I know what's on the other side of the, the trip. But right now, all I can think about is the thirst I have. And to be fair, when you're thirsty, you want to be quenched. God provides them water. Let's, let's focus on that for a second. God provides them water. He's maybe a better parent than I am because sometimes I, I get in my head, no, we're just going to keep driving for a little while and you can wait. I've got a schedule and we'll get you the water when we get where we're going. Uh, maybe not where we get where we're going, but when my first stop is planned. So we drive. The Israelites get into the wilderness. They get their, their drink of water uh, and God continues to move them forward. All is good, right? Things are wonderful. Uh, the thing that we wanted, we now have. We have water. Verse uh, 2 and 3 of chapter 16 tell us that it happens again. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Uh, somehow I wrote trout instead of brought. Uh, so there is no trout involved in this story. And maybe that's part of the grumbling. They want food. They want to fill their stomachs. Oftentimes on our trips, I've planned out ahead of time. I know where we're going to stop. I know what we're going to eat. But right now, my kids are demanding snacks. Now, my wife is a lot more thoughtful than I am, and she packs, like, full-on canvas bags of snacks and munchies and stuff. But sometimes my kids forget that what God, or what, what Lorinda is providing, see, this is the danger in using analogies, is that you start mixing up the people you're talking about. L the thoughtfulness that Lorinda has provided in the snacks she's going to offer them it's unappreciated at times. And the snacks are rejected in some way. Uh, here, the people are waiting for food. They want food. They hunger for th food. And God says, All right, I'll feed you. I'll give you what it is that you want. And he feeds them. 
And, and we have this moment where it rains down food from heaven. God provides. In transition, God provides. And the people are filled. Now, there comes a point in time where what God provides is not what they want anymore. And they grumble and complain about having this same meal over and over and over and over again. But God provides in transition. I want to I want to move ahead here a little bit. Um, in Exodus chapter seventeen, we continue to see a little bit of this this grumbling that happens. So they've had their drink of water, they've had their their food, and now they arrive at another point, and it says, "But the people thirsted for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst?'" Notice that they never begin by asking, Hey, Moses, uh, could we get a little bit of water? Would you mind providing some water for us? Hey, Moses, could we have a little bit of food? Moses, uh, you know, the situation's okay, but could you just provide a little bit for us? Instead, at least as far as the book of Exodus records, the immediate reaction is grumbling. The immediate response is complaining. I don't have what I want right now, and I will throw up a protest because I don't have what I want. And this angers Moses. It, it, it frustrates Moses. One of the problems with the Israelites here, look, why did you bring us up out of Egypt? If you, if you look back, uh, you can see, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt when we sat by meat pots. Oh, things were so much better back then. Remember when we had the meat pots? Yeah, it would have been better to be dead by the meat pots than be out here in the wilderness. We could have died in Egypt. It would have been better for us to die in Egypt than to be out here thirsty this is sometimes how we handle times of transition, how we handle the frustration of not being in a comfortable place. It would be better to be dead than to be living like this. That's the kind of thinking that Israel has. And it doesn't end here. So God provides them with rescue from Egypt. God provides them with safe passage through the Red Sea. God provides them with water when they're thirsty and all they have to drink is bitter water. He gives them fresh water. God provides them with food when they are hungry. God provides them with water again as they thirst. And he's proven himself to be a God who provides and he leads them to the foot of Mount Sinai. And there at Mount Sinai, uh, there is this, this epic story that lasts actually multiple months. By the, by the time that they leave Mount Sinai, it's been almost a year that they've been in the wilderness. We, we don't know the exact number of days, I don't believe. Uh, but they've been in the wilderness for months and there at the foot of Mount Sinai, 
they begin this process in which Moses goes up the mountain and he receives law from God and returns. And there's two periods of 40 days that he spends on top of the mountain. And there there are these transitional moments and, and all this is going on. And as Moses goes up the mountain at one point, uh, the Israelite people are waiting behind him. And they wait at the foot of the mountain, and on top of the mountain there is rumbling, and there are uh, uh, clouds that enthrone the mountain, and and God has told the people not to approach the mountain, because if they do, they could die. Moses alone is allowed up the mountain. And there on top of the mountain, God begins to reveal to Moses something brand new, an entire system of of being God's people. Laws, commandments, uh, rituals, feast days, all of this begins to be constructed. The God who has provided food and water, who has provided them safety, who has provided them rescue, begins the process of providing them a way to approach him and genuinely be his people. An entire identity spun on top of this mountain to be brought down to the people so that they might have a closer and deeper relationship with him. But we know what's happening at the foot of the mountain as, they, as God is giving all of this to Moses. See, there's... Uh, this verse in chapter 32, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up! Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Moses goes and does what God asks him to do. The God who is provided. And in their impatience, they decide to make for themselves a golden calf. Something to worship. We're bored now. We're, we're tired of waiting. The transition is taking too long. Let's take matters into our own hands. We do not know what has become of Moses. Because we don't know what's become of Moses, we've lost patience with the God of Moses. Let's make some new gods. We'll follow them. We'll do what they tell us. Or better yet, they'll let us do what we want to do. Of course, we know ultimately God sends Moses down the mountain. And Moses, in, in anger, righteous anger, indignation over the rejection of Yahweh, grinds up the calf and they, they make the people consume the gold that was a part of this idol. And there's, there is uh, lamentation, there is mourning, um, there is repentance, uh, but still the people have, have shown how quickly their dedication can wander. Sometimes we forget that the 40 years that they spend in the wilderness comes after they reach the edge of the promised land. 
They get to the edge of the promised land. God doesn't lead them around in circles for 40 years because he doesn't know how to get them to the promised land. He leads them to the promised land. And in their impatience, they end up finding themselves missing out. Because they get to the edge of the promised land. And in in Deuteronomy chapter 1, we're told what ends up happening. Um, And you murmured in your hearts because the Lord hated us. He has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the, the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. And that's why we're not going to go into the promised land. We've decided, you know, things were better back in Egypt. It would have been better for us to die at the hand of the Egyptians. God hates us. That's why he brought us out of Egypt. God hates us so much that he delivered us from slavery. And he crossed us over the Red Sea and gave us victory without having to raise a sword. That he fed us in our hunger, gave us water in our thirst. That he provided us with an identity. Made us a new nation. A nation dedicated wholly to him. Yeah, God. God hated those Israelite people. It's so sad to read this story because sometimes this story is is my story. Sometimes this story is our story. We have a God who has provided us so much and all we can do is look back and say, yeah, but God, right now I'm suffering. Back then, things were so good. Right now I'm really struggling, God, and I just wish that you would do what I want you to do in the way I want you to do it. Back then, God, I had freedom. I'd, I'd do whatever I wanted to do. I'd do what would make me happy, what would bring me peace, what would bring me satisfaction. And of course, if we really think back, if we take off those rose-colored glasses that we sometimes wear when we look at the past... We come to the realization that things before God, things before a relationship with him, were not what they seemed. We are going through a time of transition. And right now, things are definitely not what they were before. It's it's different. It's very different. But the church has been through transition before. We've had times where the church has been the single most powerful thing in in the known world. Controlled uh, entire governments. uh, That that in the name of Christianity, uh, kings were made and kings were deposed. And we met in grand cathedrals that were built out of stone and, and had ornate displays. But we've also been a people that met in caves, in tombs. We've been a people that met in, in log cabins on the frontier. We've been a people that have met in the homes of our brothers and sisters. We have been a people that that have met in church buildings where 150, 200, 300 can meet. We have been a church that meets in in coliseums where thousands of people 
can join together in song. Once a year, I get to go to uh, a lectureship in, in Malibu, and I get to worship with hundreds of other Christians in a gymnasium on a university campus, and it's, it's one of the highlights of my year. I look forward to it every year, and that didn't happen this year, and there was a part of me that grumbled and complained about it. But then I also think about this. Every Sunday morning, I get to sit with my, my children during worship time, and we get to sing. And we get to have an opportunity to converse about what scripture means to us. And we get to share in communion with one another. Last week, after service, I had the opportunity to have a picnic lunch with Kyle and Rebecca out on our front lawn. And, and I was blessed and encouraged just to visit with my brothers and sisters. We are in a time of transition. And things look different now. And they're probably going to look different for a little while. And maybe when we get back together, things will still be different. When we're back at the building, things will be different. And our rush should be to embrace the fellowship of the saints, not necessarily for us to fill our pews. And so as we've been talking about what this transition looks like for us, I want to encourage you with this. Um, we we know that there are conflicting opinions about how we go about reapproaching the opening of the doors of the building that, that we normally meet at. Um, and we are not in a rush to make a decision because we want to make sure whatever decision we make is the right decision. But right now we know the right thing at all times is to be the church to be in communion with one another, to be about God's business in our world, to be loving our neighbors, to be loving one another, and to be loving God. To know, love, and serve God, each other, and our community. That's, at the beginning of the year, how we began uh, our, our mission statement, our vision for the year. Uh, ideally, the thing that will drive and motivate us for, for the time being. And at the core of all of that is to reflect the love of God. And so we are making a small transition in our time of transition. And, and I want to I encourage you with this. Um, we've talked, uh, the elders and Kyle and I had a meeting a couple of weeks ago, uh, or last week. I don't know, time has no meaning right now, it seems like. We talked about this, and we would, we would like to encourage the congregation, all of the members, to be mindful of the fact that you have a home and you can invite other people to be in that home with you right now. You know, we invite people into our homes on Super Bowl Sunday and we share food and we watch a game together and maybe we talk about the game and, and we spend time in fellowship over football. I, I know I've done that many times at many different places. And I want to encourage you with this thought. If we can do that for a football game, why not do that for Sunday morning? Invite people to come and be in your home, members of our congregation. If your home is big enough and you can maintain uh, safe distance or, or be mindful of, you know, just keeping good, clean sanitation procedures in, in place, invite people to worship with you on Sunday morning. People that are currently watching right now, 
Now, you know, on the one hand, that means that the number of individual streams of our YouTube channel is going to plummet. If we have, uh, you know, 30, 30 homes that are filled with uh, 20 people each, oh man, that means that it's not 60 uh, people logged in at one time. Darn, uh, my YouTube viewership goes down. I'm okay with that. I want for the number on here to be smaller because it means that we're in homes with one another. And so our, our current plan uh, the thing that we want to encourage the body of believers who are the Newburgh Church of Christ to pursue is time together in our homes. Find a group that you can meet with consistently on Sunday mornings. Go and share a meal together. Be in one another's homes together. Make it the same group each week. We, we think that that's a priority, that that's something that's important. It, it gives us the opportunity to ensure that we are not uh, uh, meeting with the wrong, not the wrong people, we're all the right people, that we're not meeting with people who may have an infection and pass it on to us. And then two weeks later, we've met with someone else and we've you know leapfrogged the virus or passed it off in some way. Uh, but find a group of people and meet with them in their homes and and meet with them consistently. I think the most important thing that we miss in doing the online service is time together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And the remedy to that is not necessarily to go back to the building today. The remedy for that is for us to intentionally seek out fellowship with one another. Look forward. Don't look back. Today, this is what we can have. We may not have pots of meat, but we have the bread that God has given us. We have the bread from heaven, Christ. We have the fellowship of one another. We have a body of believers that we belong to, that we can be in fellowship with. I don't have a fancy way of tying all of this up this morning. I just want to, I want to pray. Um, I want us to, to be mindful of the good news that God does have plans for us in the future, and they might be beautiful, wonderful plans that we could never have anticipated. But for now, we're in a time of transition, and we will take that transition as best we can, consulting God for wisdom, for understanding, and for encouragement towards his vision for his church. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you are good. And whatever you do in our lives, it is for the good. And the ways in which you are working in our church right now are good ways, Father. We have, we have people placing membership when we're not even meeting at the building. We have people who are being baptized in your name. We have, uh, we have been so blessed in the last couple of months, even as we look around and say, this isn't necessarily what we were expecting. And yet, God, you still provide. And we wonder how it could be. How in the world could things be going like this? How could the world be so different than we expect it to be, and yet you are doing miraculous things all around us? And you tell us if we continue to faithfully be your people, you will continue to faithfully work through us. And so we ask, help us to be faithful in your service. Help us to be your hands and feet. Help us to be your body. God, not under one roof right now, 
But we know that we've never in, in our history been a church that is only under one roof. We are a church that is under many roofs all week long. That is our identity and always has been. Sunday morning, we are a group that gets together, but we know that the church extends beyond those walls and that there are churches in, in uh, Portland and churches in uh, Beijing and churches in London and churches in, in Honduras, Tegucigalpa, that are meeting, that are your church under many roofs. And right now, there's just a few more roofs that we meet under, and we are thankful that we still are the church regardless. That this is a time of transition, maybe an opportunity for us to learn better the identity you have prepared for us and to grow deeper in that understanding of who we are called to be. Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus, and the way he shapes us, the way that he changes us, the way that he calls us to be more today than we were yesterday. And Father, I thank you most of all for the promise of a kingdom that will come in fullness that we will get to be a part of. And that is the greatest transition that we anticipate. And as we anticipate that transition, help us to grow in this time to be prepared for that transition. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We're going to go ahead and move now into uh, the remainder of our service. Uh, Tyler Matlock is providing our communion thought this morning. Um, and uh, I want us to hand it over to Tyler and, uh, and then we'll participate in communion together. <laughs> 